Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a mojito. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking a Moscow Mule, and on today's episode, we're getting ready for Halloween by exploring three real-life crimes that went on to inspire classic horror movies. We're going to be going over these three, not very in-depth, so let us know if you would like something more in-depth on them, but otherwise, let's get started. The first case we'll look at is that of the Gainesville River, which went on to inspire the movie Scream. Danny Rowling, also known as the Gainesville Ripper, was born in Louisiana in 1954. His father was incredibly abusive to Rowling, his brother, and his mom. Rowling found an escape in music but had severe mental health issues related to the abuse. Rowling was abusive to his own wife and the couple eventually divorced. Rowling had voyeuristic tendencies and experienced violent and disturbing visions which worsened after his divorce. In 1979, he was sent to prison for raping a woman, and this was following the divorce as well. In November 1989, after being fired from his job, Rowling broke into a Shreveport, Louisiana home and murdered 24-year-old Julie Grissom, her 8-year-old nephew, Sean, and her 55-year-old father, Tom. Julie was found with her legs spread and she had bite marks on her body. In May of 1990, Rowling shot his father in the stomach and head after getting into an argument. His father survived, and Rowling went on the run, eventually ending up in the college town of Gainesville, Florida. On August 24th, he broke into the home of University of Florida students Christina Powell and Sonia Larson, and brutally raped and stabbed both women. He cut off Sonia's nipples and kept one as a trophy. The next day, he raped and murdered Santa Fe Community College student Krista Hoyt. Rowling also cut off Krista's nipples and left her severed head on a shelf in her home. The community was horrified and students slept in groups in order to protect themselves. Days later, he murdered 23-year-old University of Florida students Manuel Tobata and Tracy Pauls. Neither of their bodies were mutilated. Authorities were able to link similarities between the Shreveport and Gainesville murders. Almost two years after the murder spree took place, Rowling was arrested after DNA from an extracted tooth linked him to the crime scenes, and he eventually confessed. He was officially charged with all five Gainesville murders in June 1992 and was already facing numerous life sentences from several armed robberies he had committed. In February 1994, Rowling pleaded guilty and was found guilty of all five murders and sentenced to death two months later and he was eventually executed in October 2006. In the spring of 1994, screenwriter Kevin Williamson watched an episode of the TV show Turning Point that focused on the Gainesville Ripper and how he targeted college students. Williamson was staying alone in a friend's house when he watched the show and grew increasingly unsettled after noticing an open window in the house. This incident inspired Williamson to write a script treatment that would eventually turn into the 1996 horror movie Scream. Scream went on to become one of the most influential and highest grossing horror movie franchises of all time. Another notable movie inspired by real-life horror is The Town That Dreaded Sundown. The 1977 film was based on the unsolved Texarkana murders, also known as the Texarkana Phantom Attacks or the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Throughout the spring of 1946, five people were killed and three were injured 
by the Texarkana Phantom Killer. On February 22, 1946, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry were on a secluded roll in Bowie County, Texas, when they were forced out of their car by an armed man wearing a burlap sack with two slits for eyes over his head. He beat Hollis with his gun and fractured Hollis's skull before sexually assaulting Larry. The masked man fled when he saw approaching headlights. Both Larry and Hollis survived and recovered from their injuries. Just a month later, Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore were found dead inside a car on another back road in Bowie County. They had both been shot in the back of the head with a 32 caliber revolver outside of the car and placed back inside. Moore had been tortured and sexually assaulted before her death. Weeks later, on April 14th, teenagers Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker were found shot to death by a 32 caliber revolver on the Texas side of Spring Lake Park. Their bodies were discovered some distance from their vehicle. Just like in the previous cases, Booker was tortured and sexually assaulted. The community was terrified and local police in both Texas and Arkansas staked out nearby lovers' lanes and secluded roads. Townspeople stocked up on weapons and refused to leave their homes after sundown. The murders got nationwide attention, which added to the panic and chaos. Then, on May 3rd, Virgil Starks was shot and killed by an attacker outside of his secluded farmhouse in Miller County, Arkansas. His wife, Katie, heard the gunshots and ran for their phone when she was shot in the face twice. She survived and luckily was able to run to a neighbor for help. Though a 22 caliber pistol had been used in Stark's death, tire tracks similar to those in earlier cases were found at the scene and the crimes were thought to be committed by the same killer. No one was ever charged with the Texarkana murders and there are many possible suspects. The most widely speculated was Yule Swinney. Swinney had a record of burglary, car theft, counterfeiting, and assault. One officer noticed that before each murder, there were reports of stolen and then abandoned cars. In July 1946, a stakeout of a reported stolen car on the Arkansas side led police to a woman who claimed to be Swinney's girlfriend. She provided details of the murders that had not been released to the public, but her story soon changed and she married Swinney. Due to her unreliability, law enforcement officials declined to prosecute Swinney. In 1947, Yule Swinney was jailed for life as a repeat offender for car theft, but was released on appeal in 1973. While some sources say he later died in prison, others say he died in 1994 at a nursing home in Dallas, Texas. Over 30 years after the murders, Arkansas native Charles B. Pierce produced the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown. The movie's tagline was, quote, in 1946, this man killed five people. Today, he still lurks the streets of Texarkana, Arkansas, end quote. The tagline caused controversy in the town, and Polly Ann Moore's brother sued the filmmakers for invasion of privacy, but his claim was denied. The accuracy of the movie has come into question, and while it was not a success, it did become a minor cult classic. Though it initially caused controversy, the film is screened annually at a park in Texarkana, Arkansas around Halloween, and the film sequel was released in 2014. Finally, one of the most well-known and notorious killers to inspire a number of horror movies is Ed Gein. Gein was born in Plainville, Wisconsin, 
1906. His father was an alcoholic and his mother was verbally abusive, deeply religious, and extremely strict. She also viewed women as quote-unquote vessels of sin and isolated her children. Gein worshipped his mother, but his older brother, Henry, would often confront her. In 1944, Henry died under suspicious circumstances in a fire near the family farm. Though Gein reported Henry missing, he was able to take police to exactly where Henry's body was. Henry was found with bruises on his head, but despite this, his death was ruled an accident. A year later, Gein's mother died and he became a recluse. Areas of the home his mother frequented were left sectioned off and untouched following her death. Alone in an isolated house, Gein spent his time watching porn, studying Nazi medical experiments, and researching human anatomy. To outsiders, Gein lived what seemed to be an uneventful life. That would change in 1957, when people questioned him after Bernice Wooden, a 58-year-old local hardware store owner, went missing after being seen with Gein. Police were not prepared for what they were about to find inside Gein's home. Wooden's decapitated body was being hung from the rafters, bones littered rooms throughout the home. There were fragmented and whole skulls on his bed frame, as well as kitchenware made from skulls. The head of Mary Hogan, a tavern owner who disappeared in 1954, was also discovered on the property. Authorities also found household items made from human flesh. This included chairs, upholstered with human skin, masks, and a lampshade made from human faces, and a corset made from a woman's torso. Lastly, they found dismembered body parts, including female genitalia, from nine different women, four noses, and fingernails. An estimated 40 bodies were found in his home. Gein told police he began stealing bones from three local graveyards two years after his mom's death. He hoped to create a quote-unquote woman's suit in order to quote-unquote become his mom and wear the skin. Gein was quickly arrested and admitted to killing Wooden and Hogan because they resembled his mother. Gein was found not fit for trial in late 1957 and was diagnosed with schizophrenia upon his admittance to a psychiatric institution. A year later, Gein's home was mysteriously burnt down and destroyed in a fire of unknown origins. In 1968, Gein was found fit to stand trial and ultimately found guilty of murdering Wooden. He returned to a mental hospital where he lived until his death in 1984. Gein was used as the inspiration for the character Norman Bates in Alfred Hitchcock's classic Psycho, Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie franchise, and Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs. His crimes loosely served as the basis of a number of other films, including two of Rob Zombie's movies. Del, what are your thoughts on these crimes and these movies? So, I just want to start by saying that I am a fan of horror movies, and so... All of these movies are really familiar to me. And the fact that they were inspired by real cases really doesn't bother me because I do think that sometimes real life is the best basis for movies. So starting with our first case, which was the Gainesville Ripper that inspired Scream, 
I think that it just goes to show that sometimes you never know what will trigger a person and what that would lead to. The fact that he got a divorce and it set him on this wild spiral that was definitely tied to his childhood as well. I think is definitely fascinating. Scream, while not being my favorite movie, is definitely a classic. And I think that as time goes on, unfortunately, the way these go, people are going to know Scream more than they will know the case that inspired it. And I think that's probably already happening. So the Texarkana murders are unsolved, but I think we can basically say we know who committed the crime. But unfortunately, because they were never officially caught, it's still officially unsolved. I think that this is one of those cases where it was a lover's lane killer as well. And unfortunately, it did add additional level of brutality with the inclusion of sexually assaulting at least one of the victims in each of the separate couples that this murderer attacked. And then to Ed Gein, who definitely has been very inspirational when it comes to the direct movies that are based on him, but also just the general sense of how evil and demonic a killer can be. I think that has inspired the entire genre and how killers and other antagonists are presented in not only horror films, but also like thrillers and other, you know, psychologically based movies. I do think that he was an evil person, of course. And I do think that his mother is the reason why he became who he became. I know that that is a cliche to blame the mom, but in this case, I definitely think that it is what happened. I think that it's always the case where the stricter and more abusive the childhood environment is, you can see that translated into the crimes. And Gein's crimes were definitely really brutal. And the things he did afterwards were just uh, examples of a person that is completely detached from reality and completely detached from the normal decency that people have. When it comes to the specific movies that we listed, obviously they're all classics. Obviously they're all great films to watch, especially if you're a fan of horror movies. And I think that it was interesting that if you look at all three of the movies, they took different aspects of who Ed Gein was and the different elements of a crime where you were able to create three fairly unique characters that were all based on the same person and the same crime. And I think that from an artistic standpoint can definitely be appreciated. Obviously, I don't support people like committing crimes to create movies, but if the situation arises, I think that they did a great job with the material that they had at their disposal. I would say that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably one of my favorite films. So I was happy that that was one of the examples that you used. What are your thoughts on it? That's a really great point about how there are so many facets to Ed Gein and that you see them in the different characters. In Psycho with Norman Bates, I think you see more of like the psychological approach with this obsession with his mother. And then in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 
you see the more violent and gory take on what crimes Ed Gein was committed. I will say, I feel like there's an element of sadness to Ed Gein. He, I'm by no means like defending him or like empathizing with him. But I think, like you were saying, his mother really was a negative influence in his life. And she really set it up in a way that he couldn't survive without her. And then he had to go and try to like recreate her and become her. I mean, it's horrible and vile, but there is something sad about it to me and very clear mental illness there as well as in the Gainesville Ripper case. Scream is one of my favorite horror movies, probably my favorite horror movie franchise. And I think it's so interesting. Kevin Williams sounds like one of us really just watching a show about a murderer and being so scared and then paranoid. I've heard a few different stories about how much research he did with the Gainesville Ripper and how it inspired different things with Scream. So he had noticed that this window in this friend's house was open and he didn't remember opening it. So then he like got a knife from the kitchen and went around the friend's house trying to see if anybody was there. And then he ended up calling a friend and the conversation divulged into like the boogeyman. And they talked about Freddie and Jason and like all the Michael Myers, all these characters which that's such a big element of Scream, the callbacks to other horror movies and, you know, knowing like the twists and turns and trying to make it your own and not really recreate these and be hacky. And that's really what stood out with Scream and it really helped to revitalize the horror movie genre in the 90s. So I really love Scream. I like fairly recently got into horror and scary movies. I was very scared of them growing up, which is kind of funny because my parents love them. Maybe that's why. But the Gainesville Ripper too, how brutal. I don't think he's a very talked about killer. I know I didn't know that much about him, but what a horrible things he's doing with these women and his victims in general. So torturous. I don't know if that's a word, but it's vile. And then we have the Texarkana murders. And there's definitely something more legendary and frightening about an unsolved murder. And I think it's cool that the guy, one of the producers, Charles B. Pierce, I think his name was, he lived in the area and was inspired to make the movie from growing up and hearing these stories. I think that's really cool and interesting. I do think it's interesting how the town, I don't want to say wears this as a badge of honor, but they kind of like lean into the legend of this killer. I'm sure everyone is far removed because these crimes did take place in 1946. But it's interesting how they screen the movie at a park where some of the people died. I mean, that kind of sits weird to me, if I'm being honest. I also read that they have a Texarkana or they have a phantom ball as well. I don't know if that's like a charity event or what, but interesting how trauma bonds towns together. And then it's like a coping mechanism to maybe make light of it, to lean into the depravity of the situation too. We've talked about that a little bit with the Salem witch trials in Salem. I mean, that happened hundreds of years ago. So I think they are even more detached and able to talk about the history of their town. But that really stood out to me. I thought that was interesting and I wouldn't really expect that. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's always strange when places that are known for horrific crimes or events 
kind of embraces it. But like you said, I think that it's more a result of how removed they are from the events versus them trivializing it in any fashion. Definitely. So horror is one of the most popular film genres. It's been around for quite a while. It's everlasting. But why do people enjoy being scared so much? And why do some not enjoy it? So there's actually some psychology behind why people like horror movies. Fright can trigger the release of adrenaline, resulting in heightened sensations and surging energy. Research shows that we have to have a quote-unquote protective frame in our mind in order to get pleasure from being scared. In order to have this psychological protective frame, three things must be in order. You must feel physically safe, you have to psychologically detach from the experience, and you must feel confident in controlling and managing the danger at hand. One of the reasons humans like horror movies is because of the physical and mental stimulation. That stimulation can be positive, like joy or excitement, or negative, like anxiety. Watching horror movies actually activates both types of stimulation in your body, and the scarier the scene, the more pleasure you experience. When the movie is over, viewers feel an intense sense of relief and enjoyment, leading to a euphoric high. Research has shown that those with a higher need for thrill and excitement tend to seek out and enjoy horror movies more. It has also been suggested that people who are less empathetic enjoy horror movies more. Younger people and men are more likely to be fans of horror. People also like horror movies for the novel experiences they portray. They allow us to live out alternate realities and contemplate how we'd react in and out of this world situation, all from a risk-free environment. Researcher Colton Scriver of the University of Chicago said, quote, anxiety and fear are feelings that people tend to avoid in everyday life, so we don't have a lot of practice at it. But experiencing those emotions in a playful way allows you to feel in control. It's like a flight simulator, end quote. Something like visiting a haunted house makes us feel accomplished, worldly, and daring, and I'm sure the same thing can happen watching a really scary horror movie. Scary movies also help us satisfy our interest in the macabre and the dark aspects of the human mind. I thought it was interesting that people with less empathy like scary movies. I don't really know how they can judge that, but I thought that was interesting. I would consider myself a pretty empathetic person. And sometimes I think it is hard for me to watch horror movies and see awful things happen to people. I don't know about you, Del. Any thoughts on any of the stuff we said? Yeah, so that also stuck out to me because obviously as a fan of horror movies, I'm like, wait, what? What does the study show? But I think that's probably tied to what we talked about earlier when it came to the things that need to be in place for you to actually get enjoyment out of watching scary movies. And that's being psychologically detached from the experience. I think it's probably also tied to just being desensitized to it as well. I think you also see this in video games where you look at it and people are like, oh my gosh, it's so violent. It's so this, it's so that. And you're just like, oh, it's just another day. I'm just, you know, playing another video game. I'm just watching another scary movie. You just don't get the sense of being scared all that often. 
there's definitely a rush that comes with like a jump scare or something unexpected. But especially with the horror movies that are being made today, you kind of know the paces that the movie are going to take. And so I don't think that we can really say that, oh, in general, people may be less empathetic if they like to watch movies that have a scary element to it. That's like saying that people that watch rom-coms are more empathetic because they're watching love stories and people coming together. I just don't know how we would actually tie that together and be able to really paint that broad brush. And when it comes to certain genres of things, I'm always weary when they try to say, well, this group of people tends to have this characteristic because it usually leads to a lot of regulation of said industry and a lot of stereotypes as well. So while I think that it's interesting, I personally wouldn't put too much stock into it because, again, I also don't find myself to be non-empathetic person and I can watch horror movies all day and all night. I wonder if any of that has to do with, like, so many people in horror movies, they make dumb decisions, like, we're going to split up to try to find this missing person, or I heard this noise, I'm the only one at home, let me go investigate. I wonder if any of it has to do with that, and people just thinking, like, I'm not going to feel bad for you, like, you're asking for it if you're going to act dumb. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that's definitely a trend, and I find myself doing it as well, when you're just like, you are such a dumbass. Why would you do that? Like, that doesn't make any sense. But then I just go back to that is a plot point that shows up in these movies. And for the movie to move forward, you need mistakes to be made. This is why one of my favorite movie franchises is Final Destination, because I do appreciate that it breaks from that in a lot of ways, where you could be doing something perfectly normal, and we still get that horror movie a scene because death is watching you and it's going to come for you even if you're doing your everyday things. I do like that element of it. But I definitely appreciate the horror where you have the person just decide that they're scared. They hear something in the night and then you see them run out their house, totally run past their car and just run into the woods because they found that to be the safer place. It's entertaining. So horror movies often get written off as fantasy or lowbrow entertainment, but horror movies do have social commentary and are allegories for larger societal issues. According to Game Rant, quote, directors can use the audience's familiarity with the horror genre's tropes and archetypes to say something powerful about what's going on in the world in an entertaining way, end quote. One of the first instances of horror as social commentary is the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The movie revolves around aliens taking over the bodies of people in a small town. The film was a metaphor for McCarthyism and the growing fear of communism as the aliens were able to quote-unquote blend in with society. Director George Romero's films were known for their social commentary as well. His 1968 zombie classic Night of the Living Dead had themes of racism and Cold War paranoia. And his 1978 film Dawn of the Dead satirized consumerism with images of mindless zombies flocking to the mall and human survivors continuing to place meaningless value on cash money in a post-apocalyptic world. 
More recently, the Purge franchise has showcased socio-political themes, including classism, racism, immigration, and population control. So are there any horror movies that you particularly like that have any allegory or social commentary in them? Probably my favorite would be Get Out by Jordan Pill. I think that he did a great job of blending in the horror movie themes with the great social commentary. And I also think that The Purge is a great example of this, especially in the later films, when they get into more detail about why The Purge is happening and the effects that it has on people that are not in a higher social economical status as was the family in the first movie. I think that horror is a great facilitator for these types of social commentary because you are able to discern what are the typical tropes that are being shown and what is that outside element that may be influencing these characters and may be speaking to a wider societal problem. I personally like it better when it's done in the way of Get Out, which is more subversive with it. I personally don't like it too much when movies try to kind of hit you over the head with their societal commentary. But I do think there is a way where both social commentary and horror movies and other genres can coexist. To learn about societal issues, it doesn't always have to come in the form of a documentary or a newscast. You can bring in those entertaining elements like Game Rant was saying as well as comment on things that people may be going through or may go through in the future. What are your thoughts? Get Out is such a great example. That's definitely one of the modern horror classics of our time, I would say. And I agree. I do prefer it when it is more subversive and subtle as opposed to being too in your face. And I also like the Purge movies. I think they're pretty under, well, maybe not underrated, but I think a lot of people when they first came out thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like, what's the point of this? But I do think they have a lot to say. And I don't think we would ever get to that point in society. I hope we don't. But it's exactly what would happen if murder and violence and whatever was allowed to occur for 12 hours. It's exactly what would happen in the United States. These two aren't as scary. I love The Craft and I do like the movie Ginger Snaps. And they're both commentaries on like women coming of age and getting their power and how it's so scary when a womanhood in general is scary. Getting your period, growing up, using like your powers against men that have abused you, used you. I think they're really fascinating takes on it as well, which I enjoy. So definitely check those out. Check out everything that we've mentioned. I haven't seen every movie that we've just talked about, but if you're interested, you know, spooky season is here. Might as well enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah, this is the perfect time of year as we are deep into the fall and we are definitely getting into the cozy, get scared type season. Pumpkin spice for the people that like it. That's not my thing, but I'm not, like you said in a previous episode, going to yuck someone's yum. But it's definitely enjoyable. And I think that just speaking on horror movies in general, I definitely think that there is an element where you can find enjoyment in any part of it. If you're not someone that likes really gory movies, well, there's horror movies that are not gore. 
if you like something that's more of a psychological thriller, there's plenty out there. I just think that we need to make sure that whenever we are thinking of horror movies, we don't automatically jump to what some people do, like they say lowbrow and stuff like that, because it does have a wider societal impact than people tend to think that it has. And also the fact that it's one of the most sustaining genres and one of the most successful genres does also speak to the impact, the positive impact that it has on many people's lives. For sure. And maybe Dell and I can give out some recommendations of our favorite scary movies and we'll put that on our social media pages. I think that would be fun. Absolutely. Get prepared for a lot of 80s horror movies (laughs) for me. I might agree. I know I'm going to put Scream on that list. Like I said, definitely Poltergeist. That's one of my favorites too. See, I personally, I love when I can either see the kill or see the killer. For whatever reason, that's what I tend to be drawn to the most. I also love one by one movies where you see like, Final Destination is one of the best examples of this. Saw in a couple of its installments also did it as well, where you're following the scenes and by looking at the different deaths, you know, you and your head are piecing it together. Or when it comes to future installments and you know who the killer is, like in a Jason or Freddie or Michael Myers um, movie, you're having those callbacks to previous movies where you're like, oh, okay, that's a method of death you really like. Yeah, I just think it's it's really fun. And yeah, so look towards our social medias for those recommendations and share your own. We always love to find new things to watch and hear from you guys. Absolutely. Great recommendation of having people add stuff, by the way. (laughs) That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about these movies and their real life inspirations. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with an episode focused on the Jameson and McStay family murders. As always, stay safe.